you got a Bible, uh, open to Matthew chapter 22 this morning. It's good to see you. Uh, my name's Shannon. I'm one of the pastors here, if you're new with us. Um, when you came in, you should have found a connection card and prayer card on the seat where you're seated. On uh, one side of that's a place for prayer requests. If we can pray with you or for you about something, we'd be honored to do so. Um, on the other side, that's a place for a little information about you, so we can send you some information about us and answer any questions you might have about Redeemer. Um, It is good to see John with us this morning, uh, just back from uh, India not too long ago, um, doing work over there, training pastors, planting churches, and he gave me a a couple of DVDs this morning, one with videos, one with pictures, we're going to be showing those to you here in the weeks to come and sharing with you some of the more of the work that God is doing over there um, as they continue to plant and see people coming to faith in Christ and discipled and sent out into their cultural context with the good news of the gospel. And so I'm encouraged to hear those reports uh, from John this morning. Uh, But this morning, we turn our attention to um, Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40, is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen with me as we read it together. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34, Matthew records these words, but when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On those, these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Listen, from the time that I was um, in elementary school, from the time that I was in third grade, I've worn corrective lenses, okay, for my eyes. Because I was blessed with parents who have terrible eyesight. Um, and so I inherited some of those genes from them. And so from the time that I was in third grade, from the time that I was nine to ninth grade, I wore glasses. Uh, and then from that point forward, I've worn contact lenses. For those of you who care about such things, my prescription, I'm incredibly nearsighted. And my prescription is negative 7.5. And so without glasses or contact lenses, I can see about this far in front of my face before everything looks like trees walking around or big blurry objects out there. Right? So I've worn lenses all of my life, but listen, last September, I kid you not, I crossed a significant milestone in my life. I crossed the 4.0 threshold, all right? And from the time that I turned 40, I kid you not, like I'm not making this up. I have to hold things out just a little bit farther from my face and actually for my eyes to focus on what I'm reading, Right? So I'm kind of doing this number on Sunday mornings now as I read. Um, so in addition, in poor lighting, I have a hard time seeing things. I used to make fun of my parents all the time for this. Everywhere we would go, they were like, it's so dark in here. And they would be taking their glasses off and pulling things right up here to their face, inches from their nose to be able to read anything. And I used to give them all kinds of grief about that. And now I find myself standing squarely in their shoes. Right? And so one of the things that's the conclusion that's led me to is it's probably a time uh, for either to go into the eye doctor and my prescription checked up, right? Because uh, sit in that chair and they put those things in front of your face and like number one and number two, number two and number three, number three and number four, number four and number three, number three. You, know, you just keep going through all this seemingly endless choices of lenses they put in front of your eyes. So I either need to have that happen or pick up a pair of reading glasses from the drugstore, right, and use those whenever I'm, or I've actually thought about this, maybe it's time for some no-line bifocals, 
I'm just going to be real. I'm just bearing my soul to you this morning, all right? Uh, maybe I'm reaching that point. Because one of the things that I've learned over the course of the years in struggling with vision is this, is that the right prescription is powerful. It's incredibly powerful, right? It takes your vision and it refines it and it focuses it. It allows you, enables you to see clearly the things that you're looking at whenever you have the proper prescription set before your eyes. And listen, church, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, not only do you have eyes in your head, but you also have eyes in your heart. He speaks of the eyes of our heart being enlightened. And I want you to know something, that whenever your eye, the, the, the vision in your head becomes cloudy, you need the proper prescription. And whenever the vision of your heart becomes cloudy, you need a prescription for that as well. You need a prescription for that as well. You need to refocus your vision and to help reset your priorities. And so that's what we come to do this morning on Covenant Renewal Sunday here at Redeemer. If you're a guest with us, it's what we do on an annual basis, just kind of resetting in January our priorities and commitments to be a part of a local church. And so if you're a member with us, you should have received in the mail. If not, there's some at the back of the kiosk back there, a Covenant Renewal card. And on that card, we're asking you to reaffirm a commitment to five things, right? These are not new commitments we're asking people to make, but really just a resetting of the commitments that you made whenever you took that step of membership at Redeemer. It's a commitment to maturity, to growing in Christ-likeness, to establishing some righteous rhythms or holy habits in your life to put you in a position for God to continue His work in you, of you working out what God is working in you, as Paul says in Philippians. A commitment to maturity, a commitment to community, Community, to helping be a part of a, building a culture that is communal, where we're like an extended family and we one another each other, the, as the New Testament speaks of. We encourage one another. We pray for one another. We love one another. We admonish one another. At times, correct one another when we see people going off the rails. Right? We have an extended communal family, but we also have a missional culture where there's always a seat at the table for a new family member. And we're pursuing new family members and inviting them into the shared life that we have together. A commitment to generosity, to leveraging our time, which is for some of us the most valuable commodity that we have. Leveraging our talents, the way God's wired and gifted us, and leveraging our resources, our treasure, to support the work God is doing here in the life of this church and across the ocean in India and through other mission partners that we're engaged with in Moldova and raising up next generation leaders through organizations like Latitude. We're asking for you to refocus your vision on a commitment to our mission if you have the t-shirt and you wear the t-shirt, I hope that you're embracing the, vi- the, the mission behind that of sharing the gospel, shaping disciples, and sending missionaries into our neighborhoods and across the globe. That we're refocusing on that, being a disciple-making church that raises up men and women and students who would go into their schools with the good news and the message of Christ. And then as we do that, we would see God begin to mend lives And put them back together. And then he would see him multiply this work. So we're refocusing on the vision of our church. And so that's what we're asking you to do as we enter into 2018. Refocus the eyes of your heart around maturity, community, generosity, mission, and vision here at Redeemer. And as we do that, what I want to, the text I want to take us to this morning is, is, is the great commandment in Matthew chapter 22. Because here Jesus has a prescription for us, for the eyes of our hearts. 
He has a prescription that will help us refocus. And as we refocus our vision, it will help reset our priorities. And so I want to invite you to take a look at this text with me this morning as we turn our attention back to the things that Jesus says matters most. Right? Jesus says there's something in life that matters more than anything else. And what he says in Matthew's gospel in chapter 22, in this text that we've read together this morning is this, that what matters most in life is loving God. That's what matters most. Of all the things that you could give your time and attention to, what matters most, the highest priority, the chief aim of your life should be loving God. See, in the context, Jesus has just been bombarded by the religious leaders of his day. And he just shut down the Sadducees in this conversation about resurrection from the dead, talking about how God is a God of the living and not a God of the dead. And so the Pharisees are like, well, it's our turn, so we're going to send our best guy up to the plate hoping he can get a hit, right? Because Jesus is throwing some heat. And so when a lawyer, one of the Pharisees, comes before Jesus and begins to pummel him with questions, and one of the questions he asks him is this, teacher... Tell us which is the greatest commandment in the, all the law. Right? Give us some insight, Jesus. Tell us what your yoke is. In other words, what's your interpretation of the law? How do you see the commandments of God, Jesus? What's the greatest and the foremost of them? What's the most important commandment in the law, Jesus? And Jesus responds in Matthew 22 by saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now listen, when some of you hear the word command, you kind of bristle a little bit, right? You kind of brush it back some, and here's why. For many of us, when you hear the word command, you think of limitations, don't you? It's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word command, or restrictions, right? Things that are going to keep you from pursuing your dreams, right? Things that are going to keep you from fullness and flourishing in life. Things that are going to keep you from delight and joy. But when you hear the word command, here's what I want you to think of. Not restrictions, because the Bible doesn't view them as restrictions. But what the Bible views God's commands as is not restrictions, but revelation. Right? God's commands are not restrictions, but revelations. In other words, He doesn't restrict you from pursuing fullness and flourishing in life, but what He does is He shows you how to find fullness and flourishing. He shows you how to find delight and joy within, within the way that he has ordered and designed life to work. That's what the commands of God are. They're not restrictions, but God's revelation. And what Jesus reveals to us is this, is that what the, 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 the chief and the greatest of all those revelations is this, is that our highest aim, our chief pursuit should be loving God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our soul. And if you read Mark's version of this, in Mark chapter 12, he says also with all of our strength. So in other words, with everything that you have, the totality of your being, the thoughts that you think, the desires that you you foster and feel, right? The, the, The actions of your body should be directed toward this great aim of loving God with everything that you have. And Jesus says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And here's why he says that, church. Because what Jesus gives us here in this text is this. He gives us two hooks upon which all the other commands in the Bible hang. Every other commandment hangs on these two hooks. Let me give you an illustration of the Ten Commandments. Brian taught the Ten Commandments to our students last fall. 
And the way that he did so was by saying, look, I love the way he did it. He said, listen, all the, these Ten Commandments hang on these two hooks of loving God and loving others. Think of the first four commandments. They're all Godward-focused commandments. Right? You think of the first commandment that, that God gives in Exodus chapter 20 to, to love the Lord, your, to, 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 to um, have no other gods before him, and then to have no other gods beside him, and then not to take God's name in vain, and then to keep the Sabbath. All those are God-directed commandments. Right? Have no idols in your life. Worship and serve God only. Don't treat God lightly and take his name in vain, but treat him with reverence and dignity and honor and majesty. And then keep the Sabbath because God has woven into life a rhythm of rest and work that if you break, you will break yourself. Right? All Godward focused commands. And then the last six are all other focused commands, right? Do not murder, do not steal, do not commit false witness, don't lie, right? Don't covet something, don't commit adultery. All these are moving horizontally toward other people. And so here in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says the great commandment is this, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two hooks, every other commandment in the Bible hangs because every other of the commands relate to either loving God or loving others, He says, this is the highest priority of your life. It's what matters most, is to love God. And so if that's what Jesus says matters most, I think it's pretty vital that we kind of get our minds around and get clear on what that means. What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love him with everything that we have? Right? Here's what it means to love God. To love God means that your heart is aflame with affections for God. That's what it means to love God, is to have a heart that is aflame, it's burning with affections for God. That's what it means to love Him. Listen, what you and I, if you think of it this way, love for God is, is not an affirmation or an appreciation of God's usefulness. Right? That's not love for God, right? It's not an appreciation or affirmation of all the useful things that God can do in our lives. Rather, love for God consists of our hearts being aflame with affections for God. Not appreciation for his usefulness, but being captivated, listen church, by his beauty, by his loveliness, by his excellence, by how great and glorious he is. That's what it is to love God. It's not to say, God, I appreciate your usefulness in my life, but I have an affection for your excellence, for your beauty. Because listen, there is a massive difference between finding something useful and finding something beautiful. Let me break it down for you this way. Amazon.com is useful. Can I get an amen, right? It's useful, right? If I had my phone with me on stage this morning, I could pull up my phone and I could order anything from almost anywhere and have it on my doorstep in two to three days. Incredibly useful, okay? You can order on Amazon. You can get all kinds of things on Amazon.com. You can order fishing lures off Amazon.com and you can order lavender lotion on Amazon.com. Right? You can order gun stocks or chicken stock off Amazon.com, right? You can order kitchen knives or hunting knives on Amazon.com, right? You can find all kinds of things out there on Amazon.com. And it can be at your doorstep, able to be used by you in two to three days if you have a Prime membership. Otherwise, it might take you five to seven. (laughs) It's useful, right? Amazon.com is useful. But the Amazon rainforest is beautiful. It's beautiful. 
When you think of the green lush canopies that spread out over 2.1 million square miles. And the biodiversity that exists in the Amazon rainforest. You think of the macaws and their beautiful coloration, right? Rio, we've seen that movie, right? You think of the, 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 the rainbow colored ones and the blue and yellow ones and just the vibrancy of their colors. You think of the, the, the leopards that roam those forest floors and lie in wait in the trees and the spots and the way they're placed in their amber colored eyes. You think of the peacock bass that swim in the rivers and streams. If you've never seen one, one of the most beautiful fish on the face of the earth. Right? Just the way that they're colored and they're, 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 the, the dots on their bodies. Right? They're kind of an orangey eye and an orangey streak along their tail and a green color along their backs and then these big yellow and black spots across their bodies. They're beautiful fish. You think of all the animals that exist there, and the, you know, I did a little research. There's, out of all, uh, there's one out of every ten species on the face of the earth lives in the Amazon rainforest. There's a massive amounts of biodiversity that exists there, and beauty. And listen, it is not useful, but it is beautiful, and something that's beautiful draws you in, and it captivates you, right? It captures your attention, and it captures your heart. I can go on Amazon.com today and I can order a pair of sunglasses and those sunglasses will be amazing, right? They can block the glare. If they're polarized lenses, they allow me to see down through the water and where fish are bedding in March whenever I go catch them off of the beds and the big fat females who are about to give birth to babies. Some of you think that's really cruel, but I think it's really fun. And so it's, you get sunglasses on Amazon.com. But listen, a sunset in the Amazon rainforest is breathtaking. It's breathtaking. There is a difference between something being useful and something being beautiful. And our, one of our chief problems as human beings is this, is that we approach God for his usefulness, not for his beauty. And in so doing, we do not love him rightly. We do not love him rightly. We don't love him like the psalmist does in Psalm 27 verse 4 when he says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalmist says, I'm not coming to God for lots of useful stuff. I'm coming to God because I'm captivated by this vision of him in all of his splendor, all of his majesty, all of his glory, and all of his beauty. That's what it is to love God, to have your heart aflame with affections for God because you find him beautiful. You're captivated by the beauty of this God. You can't just, it's not merely consistent in our ability to explain the goodness of God because we can explain all kinds of things about God but to enjoy that goodness. As the psalmist says elsewhere, to taste and see that God is good in our experience of him. That's what it is to love God. Now there's another, let me, be, let me be careful to say as well that we also need to guard ourselves against another false view of love for God. Coming to him for his beauty instead of his usefulness, but we also have to avoid the grave mistake of confusing activity for God with affections for God. Because they are not the same thing, church. They are not the same thing. Listen, in, in John's gospel, in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, some of you could probably finish this statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But I want you to think about what Jesus is saying there. Jesus is presupposing a condition of love for God. He's saying, if this, 
than this. If you love God, then you will obey God. If you love God, then you will keep the commands of God. If there is affection in your heart for God, then there will be activity in your life to honor God. But what, if I were to whiteboard this out for you this morning, right? if I had a whiteboard up here, I would t- write love on one side of the board and obedience on the other side of the board, and there would not be an equal sign between the two because they are not the same thing. That's not what Jesus says here. But what I would do is I would whiteboard it out, I would draw love on one side, obedience on the other side, and there would be an arrow, not an equal sign. An arrow stretching from love toward obedience. Because Jesus says that love for God and obedience to God are distinct things, but obedience to God is dependent upon love for God. If your heart is ablaze with affections for God, then it will lead to actions and obedience and activity in your life but there's also we have to guard ourselves against believing that just because we're engaged in religious activity that there must be affections in our heart for God because listen this is one of the ways that Jesus and and, and not only Jesus but God through his prophets in the Old Testament continually calls out the nation of Israel listen to what he says in Hosea in Hosea chapter 6 listen to how God speaks he raises up the prophet Hosea in verse, chapter 6, verse 4. He says, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? What, what am I going to do with my people? He says, listen to what he says. Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. In other words, the morning clouds that are out on the horizon and the dew that's on the grass, by the time the sun gets overhead, those things have burnt off and it vanishes. He says, that's what your love is like. Your love dissipates quickly. And then he goes on to say, Therefore I have hewn them in by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as light. And then he says this, For I desire steadfast love, not vanishing and diminishing love, but steadfast love, and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. See, Israel was still engaged in bringing sacrifices to the temple. They were still engaged in bringing burnt offerings. And God says, what I want more than your religious activity is your hearts. I want your affections to burn for me. I want you to, have desi- I want you to find me beautiful and captivating and be drawn in. He said, I would rather steadfast love that endures day after day after day than all the sacrifices, even the ones that I've in the temple and I would rather he says knowledge of God in other words intimacy with me that's what knowledge of God is in the Bible not just this intellectual knowledge but an intimate knowledge I'd rather you have intimacy with me than all these burnt offerings you're bringing here to the altar see you can be engaged in lots of religious activity without affections for God but you cannot have affections for God without being engaged in religious activity Listen, that's one of the things that, one of the, things the, the movie Weekend at Burnings taught us. You remember that from the late 80s? Some of you are like, I wasn't born then. Um, but listen, in the late 80s, there's a movie that came out called Weekend at Burnings in which these two guys show up at their boss's beach house. And they're going to party it up for the weekend, right? And they, but the, what they found is that he's been embezzling money from the company. This dude is kind of a sketchy character, Bernie, right? And a hitman, he's contracted hitmen to come and kill his two employees, Right? Before they can out him to the company. 
But what he doesn't realize is the hitman is actually being paid off by somebody else to kill him. And he kills Bernie, and the two guys show up, and they're like, their boss is dead. But there's a big party that's about to go on all weekend. They want to enjoy the house, and so they pretend Bernie's still alive. So they dress him up, and they take him out on the boat, and they go skiing, lay out on the beach, play some poker. And one of the things the weekend that Bernie's taught us is this, is that no matter how much activity, no matter how much activity you put a corpse through, what you still have on your hands is a corpse. You know what I'm saying? You still have a corpse. Because activity doesn't produce life. Life produces activity. Love for God, you cannot have love for God in your heart, affections for God in your heart, without there being actions that come out of it. But you can have a whole lot of actions that are hollow and empty and void of life and love. See, your affections, church, your, your loves will always shape how you live. Always. Can't escape it. For instance, right, we talk about a renewing a commitment to maturity and to multiplication here at Redeemer. If what you love most in life is comfort, if that's what your heart loves more than anything else, right, then it's going to restrict how generous you are with your time. It's going to restrict how generous you are with your finances. It's going to restrict how generous you are with your gifts because what you want is to pad your life and be comfortable. So why would I give more away? Why would I give sacrificially when I can give comfortably? Why would I serve sacrificially when I can serve comfortably? Right? Why would I surround myself with new people when I've got my posse already around me and I'm pretty comfortable with them? Why would I take that step to launch out something new? If what you love most in life is comfort, if that's where your affections are, it will shape how you live. You will not be radically generous. You will not multiply. If what you love most in life is human approval, then listen, if what you love most in life is human approval and gaining, you know, attaboys from people and having popularity and being with the right crowd and with the in crowd, and the people who look like me and dress like me, the beautiful people, right? If that's what you love the most is being seen in that light, then you will not see the church as a community of blood-bought brothers and sisters. But what you will pursue for yourself is a designer body. Listen, one thing that Chris Rock taught me is this, is that women be shopping, Right? And that you cannot stop a woman from shopping. Okay? Right, men be hunting and fishing. You cannot stop a man from hunting and fishing, but women be shopping. Okay? And so one of the things women love to shop for are accessories. Been married for almost 17 years. I think I have a little bit of insight into women shopping for accessories. So they shop for accessories. And one of the accessories they shop for are purses. I mean, because you've got to have a purse for this outfit, and then for this outfit, and then for this outfit, and then for this, right? You've got to. Like, I get it, ladies. I'm not, I'm not bashing on you, right? I'm not doing none of those things, right? I'm not, I'm not blowing you up. I'm not doing any of that, okay? I'm just saying, you've got to have a purse for all these different outfits, okay? And so, as, as they accessorize, here's the problem with that, though, is whenever what we want most in life is human approval, and some of us try and get it through the way that we dress and the people that we're around is that we begin to accessorize our lives with people. And people become purses. They become purses for us. Am I seen with the right crowd? Am I in with the right people? 
Do they look a certain way? Do they talk a certain way? Do they drive a certain car? Do they live in a certain zip code? I begin to accessorize my life with people because what I want most and love most is human approval. And I want to be seen as a person who is on the up and coming, right? I'm on the come up. I'm around with people who are already up. See, your affections will always shape your actions. And you will not see the church as a community of blood-bought brothers and sisters, but you will see it as your effort to find yourself a designer body to be a part of. And listen, when you hear us talk about maturity and community and generosity and mission and vision, when you hear us talk about those things, if what rises in your heart is discomfort because you're like, man, commitment, I'm a, some of you are just commitment phobes. I'm just going to be real honest, right? Some of us are. We live in a culture and a generation that is terrified of commitment. And when you hear us talk about going four for four here at Redeemer and being present in service week after week after week and reading the Bible on a daily basis and coming before God in prayer, some of you are like, that's just man-made rules. I can't, y'all don't have to show up four times a month, right? You just kind of want to push back against some of that. And here's why, because you're terrified, and some of you rightly, rightfully so, because you, the way you grew up and the context in which you were raised, you're terrified of dead legalism. You're terrified of man-made stipulations. But listen, I want to challenge you this morning to consider whether or not your fear of dead legalism has caused you to forget what living devotion to God looks like. Has it caused that to recede from your mind and your heart? And you've just settled into a cold exercise of religious duty when it's convenient but it's not born out of affection and love with a heart that's aflame for God. See, a heart that, is, that loves God, it delights in God, finds joy in God, finds all its comfort in God. It finds its security in God. It has praise directed toward God and it surrenders its will before God. That's what it is to love him. To have your heart ablaze with affections for him. Not just be engaged in religious activity that's hollow and empty and not merely an appreciation of his usefulness in your life. Now as we close this morning, here's, I, I want to leave you with this. Right? You, you, we cannot create this kind of love for God. I love the text Brian read earlier as we sang together about how it was not we who loved God first but he who loved us first and our love is always a response to his and though we cannot create this kind of love, we can cultivate it in our lives. Right, if you think of the love of God being a fire that burns in your heart, there are certain things that we can participate in to tend that fire. Right? We can tend that fire on a daily basis. I want to give you four of them as we close. The first one is this. The first thing that you and I need to do, most, most of us on a daily basis, all of us on a daily basis, is to confess our lack of love for God. That's where it starts to confess our lack of love for God, to acknowledge that we have not loved God rightly, that we have not loved God as we should, to confess that to God, to confess to God that our loves have been disordered. In other words, we've loved the wrong things too much and the right things too little. There's been a disorderedness to our loves. And acknowledging that before God, God, I've rejoiced at the wrong things and I've wept at the wrong things instead of rejoicing in the right things and weeping over the right things. Saying to God, God, I've loved trivial things too little or too much and eternal things too little. 
right? Think, think about it this way. Some of us, our hearts got more, we got more of a rise out of our hearts in the last calendar year by the paint colors that we put on our walls than we did out of the work of God in our lives. Our hearts got more stirred by design in our homes than it did the work of God in his church. Or we gave ourselves more in 2017 to fantasy football and games on our phone than we did to cultivating and tending the fire of love for God in our hearts. God, I've loved the wrong things too much. God, I've loved trivial things too much. My loves have been disordered. Acknowledge that to him. It's the place to start because listen, church, when you get more excited about trivial things that will not transcend into eternity, they will not last, here's what happens. As you feast on those things, your appetite for things that are eternal begins to diminish. It begins to diminish. And you find yourself no longer moved by the things in life that should be most moving. Right? You no longer find yourself moved by the mercy of God, by the grace of God. You no longer find yourself moved by the compassion of God. You no longer find yourself moved by the holiness of God. You no longer find yourself moved by the majesty of God, the glory of God, the mystery of who God is. You no longer find yourself moved by those things because you're being moved by lesser things. So first step to cultivating and tending that fire of love for God is to get on your knees before God and acknowledge, God, I have not loved you as I should. The second thing is this. Some of you are going to love this, some of you are going to hate it, right? But it's to sing about God's love for you, right? Not just confess your lack of love for him, but sing about God's love for you. Because singing, have you ever noticed this? That music has a way to captivate your soul. Music has a way to grip you. Have you ever felt, have you ever just been gripped by a song and had it move you, right? Listen, I'm comfortable enough in my manhood to say that I've wept as I've heard certain songs before. Because they've just drawn me in and captivated my heart. You see, without singing, without music, music has the capacity to draw us in and without it, here's what you'll have. You'll have a gospel story that you can follow and you can read the Bible and you can follow it but you, will never, you won't feel it. Because music helps us feel. Right? We took our kids to see the most recent Star Wars movie several months ago and we sat in the theater um, and, I, and, and the, the screen went black after all the previews and the, 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 the yellow letters te- type text became, came up on the screen. And as soon as that text came up on the screen, you knew what song was about to commence, didn't you? Right? You were just waiting for the score of that movie that has been the beginning of every Star Wars movie from the 1970s to begin to play over the speakers and surround sound. And it begins to draw you in. If you'd gone to that movie and there had been no score, there had been no soundtrack, and you just sat and watched that screen scroll in front of you, you're like, all right. But it doesn't draw you in. It doesn't captivate you. Music has the capacity to do that in your life. Music, that's why the psalmist will say, make a joyful noise. That's why the scriptures will teach us to, he will teach us to make, a, make music with a lyre and the harp, sing a song, sing a new song. That's why you get to the New Testament and it says, admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That as you sing those things out to and over each other, it draws our hearts up to love God as you sing about his love for you. As you sing songs like this one penned in the 18, uh, 1770s, 
called Thy Mercy. It's one of my favorite songs. It says this, Thy mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue. Thy free grace alone from the first to the last has won my affection and bound my soul fast. Without thy sweet mercy, I could not live here. Sin would reduce me to utter despair. But through thy free goodness, my spirit's revived. And he that first made me still keeps me alive. Thy mercy is more than a match for my heart. It's not less than a match for my heart, but it's more. Which wonders to feel its own hardness depart. Tis all by thy goodness I fall to the ground and weep for the praise of the mercy I found. Great Father of mercies, thy goodness I own in the covenant blood of thy crucified Son. All praise to the Spirit whose whisper divine seals mercy and pardon and righteousness mine. You begin to sing songs like that and it draws your heart upward in affection for God. It begins to tend that fire and fan that flame. So sing about his love for you. Maybe in the morning some of you need to put on music that captivates your heart and draws it upward toward God as you spend time in prayer, which is the next area, the next log you need to throw on the fire on a consistent basis. Number three, you need to ask God to deepen your love for him. Ask God to deepen your love for him. I find it amazing in Paul's epistles, he doesn't just show up and say, love God, love God, love. It's the most important thing Jesus said, love God. Just issue a bunch of commands. But in places like Philippians 1, you know what Paul does? He says to the church at Philippi, what I'm praying for you is that your love may abound more and more. That you might grow in love. He's asking God to work in their hearts in such a way as to rekindle that fire that, that would become a, 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 an A&M bonfire, right? That's the kind of flame that it would be in their lives. May your love abound more and more. See, it's not just the exercise of our willpower that produces this, but it's God's presence in our life, God's activity. And when we get on our knees and cry out to him, saying, God, would you deepen my love for you? God, would you deepen our church's love for you? Would you fuel the fire and flame of our hearts that it would burn brightly for you? God delights to answer those prayers. That we would see you in all of your beauty and majesty and be captivated and drawn into you, God. So ask him for that, church. Ask him for it. And then finally, finally, Stanley, you can go ahead and put this up. That, that, you, in, that you inflame your heart, or, or Jordan, I'm sorry, you can inflame your heart with the scriptures. See, one of the reasons our love grows cold oftentimes in our lives is because we tend to view our life through the lens of our own experience rather than through the lens of God's revelation. And one of the things you and I need to do is to open the Bible and feast on it See, in Luke chapter 24, on the road to Emmaus, whenever the disciples are there and that Jesus has been crucified and he's, he's buried and he's, re- he's raised from the grave now, but before he ascends to heaven, all of a sudden he shows up alongside of these, these several disciples who are walking on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus and he begins to talk with them. And Luke records that in that conversation, what Jesus does is he takes the, the law and the Psalms and the prophets, all the Old Testament, and he begins to explain to them how all those things written back there were about him. 
And then all of a sudden he's gone and they look at each other and they say, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? See, one of the things that will inflame your heart for God is to take your eyes off of the lenses of your own life experience, how hard it's been, how difficult it's been, the challenges that you've faced, right? The loneliness that you've experienced, the abuse that you've endured, all those things that you've walked through. God has a heart that is tender for those things, yes. But as you take your eyes off of those things and you fix them on Him as He's revealed Himself in His Word, He begins to stoke those embers in your life. And the flames begin to burn brighter and hotter for him. Right? So confess your lack of love for him. Sing about his love for you. Ask him to deepen your love for him and read about his love for you. Those are just four ways we can tend that fire of love for God in our hearts. Because Jesus says, that's what matters most in life. So listen, if you're going to give yourself to anything this year, some of you are like, I'm giving myself to a year of physical fitness. Right? I'm on whole 30, right? I'm going for it. I'm just diving straight in like a green beret, right? <laughs> I'm cutting out anything that's not natural. I'm going paleo, whole 30, getting it done. And like, Who's that? Well, you'll know in a couple of weeks. I just get really angry. <laughs> All right? And they start, just their temper goes haywire. Some of you are giving yourself to a year of physical fitness, counting calories and exercise. Some of you are giving yourself to a year of financial fitness and wanting to manage your resources in a more appropriate fashion of, of saving, of spending, and of giving. Some of you are giving yourself to a year of starting a business or remodeling in a home. Listen, let me make an appeal to you this morning as we close. If you give yourself to anything this year, give yourself to what Jesus says matters most. That is loving God with everything that you have, with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. Tend that fire well. And as you do, the natural outflow of that will be a desire to grow in Christ's likeness and mature, to want to be with others who are walking that path with you in community, to want to give freely of your time, to make disciples and see God's work multiplied. I'm not asking you to focus on those things. I'm asking you to focus on this one thing. Love God with everything that you have. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, we're grateful that you so simply tell us what matters most in life. And that what matters most is not often the things that we have our eyes fixed on. What matters most is so often the things from which our eyes tend to drift even as we've sang already that our hearts are prone to wander and prone to leave this God that we love God in 2018 Father would you captivate our hearts with your beauty would you help us to sing about your love for us would you help us to rejoice in your love for us would you help us to read about your love for us would you help us to get on our knees and ask you to deepen our love for you and confess that we don't love you as we should god may that be a regular rhythm in our life privately may it be a regular rhythm in our life corporately as we gather here on sunday mornings that we might grow in love 
And that as you refocus the vision of our hearts, the eyes of our hearts upon you, that our priorities would be reset across the board. And we would give ourselves to what matters most. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.